So um, last weekend I was in uh, Cape Town with my family um, and my middle brother's off to overseas to go and work for a while. And so we came together just a little farewell and my mom prepared a lovely meal for us as she does. And we sat down and we enjoyed it. Uh, and then afterwards we had a, like a sneaky little dessert as you do, but one hadn't been prepared. But what we did find in my folks' um, kitchen was one of my parents' friends had bought this little box of chocolates, like this little black box, looked super lining. We're like, these things must have been seriously expensive. So we're really excited, you know, dessert hadn't been prepared, but at least we had these nice little decadent chocolates. And you know those ones, like they've got a little pamphlet that comes on the side and it tells you each little one what it's got in it, because it's impossible to tell from when you take the chocolate out. Um, so we're really excited, right? And the box is sitting there and... Uh, I take, a, take one out and try it, and it's just, it's just really not that great, to be honest. I was like, well, that's a bit disappointing, but maybe it's just the flavor, so I tried another one. Uh, it also wasn't great, and yeah, and I, thought maybe, I thought maybe three's a trick. So I took the third, and it was also so terrible, but it's this weird thing. I don't know. I mean, it's just chocolates, but I was like quite disappointed <laughs> and a little bit irritated that we had been sold something that just wasn't what it was on the inside. I was like, come on, this is brilliant marketing, but terrible chocolate. Uh, and I kind of can't believe they've got a market because Lint is good enough as it is, right? Is they're much better than Lint. But anyway, so people sell these bespoke chocolates. And I was a little bit disappointed. And why am I telling the story? You're going to find out a little bit later. But... It was that frustration that I felt where it's like, and we get in lots of life, you know, what's on the inside, outside is not what you get on the inside. And we get it with uh, various things in life. Anyway, back to that in a moment. Uh, so where we find ourselves is in the Ephesians series. We've been doing it for a long time. I shared with one of my work colleagues yesterday that I'll be preaching this morning. He's like, what are you guys preaching on? No, Ephesians. He's like, but haven't you been on that for like ages? <laughs> it's part of another church in town. Lovely guy. Uh, so this is part three of Ephesians, and it's called Walk This Way. We've done In Christ, the church has a future. Okay, now with all that context, who we are, what we belong to, how then should we live? And Paul preached beautifully last week around how chapters one, two, and three beautifully set up chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians. So if you haven't been with us, please do catch up because we're going to preach pretty directly this morning. It might be a little bit hard hitting. And if you don't have the context of one, two, and three, it's going to feel very legalistic. It's going to feel like, hey, don't put that on me, but I'm not. The text is going to put that on us. But if we have it in the context of one, two, and three, it's actually quite beautiful. And I hope we'll see that this morning. So we're going to continue in chapters, uh, chapter four from 17 uh, to verse 30. Uh, and the title for this morning comes from a Bible study that I did about four years ago. Uh, it was really, really awesome. And the guy who was leading the Bible study shared this kind of throwaway line. And it was halfway in between, but it's the one thing I remember. Okay, there were a lot of other things also. But one thing I really remember from that Bible study is he shared this one line, and it was this, be who you are. And it's so simple and so short, but it was just be who you are. And when you hear it for the first time, it's kind of like, it feels a bit throwaway. It's like, ah, and you carry on. But when you stop for a moment, you think about it, it's actually quite profound. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do. We're called to be who we are. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. We're going to say, okay, who are we? And then what does that mean for our lives as Christ follows? And so um, I'll share the first uh, part of the sermon, then Tom will come do some really helpful application and then we'll land this morning. Okay, so back to that opening story. Why is that even relevant to this morning? Um, because we were sold a box of chocolates that wasn't on the inside what it appeared on the outside. 
And that like made this little tension inside, right? And I think we feel the same. Okay, that's just a box of chocolates. But I think most of us feel the same when we see that in people. When you see that in people, when something that is spoken is not lived. When what we see on the outside is not what's really on the inside. And it creates a tension in us. And what it does is it actually breaks trust. And I think it's a lot of that that's led to our current cultural narrative of loving authenticity and vulnerability. Like, be your true self, right? Because we don't like hypocrisy. We just don't as people. And Jesus didn't as well. So we're in good company when we don't like hypocrisy. And we hate it in ourselves. And if we're honest and we do a bit of self-reflection, we realize there's actually a lot of hypocrisy in ourselves. There's a lot of saying and not doing, even if it's not before others and it's just in that quiet place in our room. And it kind of creates this internal tension when what's on the box is not quite what's inside the box, you know? And uh, beautifully, we're not only... We're not only uh, we're not the only people in history who've experienced this. And so Paul's going to speak right into this as he writes a letter to the church in Ephesians who experienced that very same tension of not living how they know and desire to live, of desiring something in the spirit, but not really living that way in their everyday lives in the flesh. And so we're going to dive in in chapters 4 to 17. Uh, you can flash it up on the screen. Uh, sorry, not chapters 4 to 17, chapter 4. Verses 17 through 30 would have been a very long morning. <laughs> um, and we'll, it'll be on the screen in the New Living Translation. Just felt that was a really helpful translation this morning. You can open up in your Bible if you have it on your phone or uh, in print. And we're gonna, you can follow along with me. So contextually, I think we, we, we know by now, but if you're joining our, our series of fresh Ephesians written by a guy called Paul, one of the most famous Christians of all, and when someone writes something and you're still reading it around the world 2,000 years later, you realize it's probably pretty, something pretty significant and probably divinely inspired. I don't think normal human writing really lasts that long and is loved and adored by that many people. So we can be pretty sure that this is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, and for us today. Written to the Ephesians, and this is a place in modern-day Turkey, so it's not just some place far away, it's actually a city that still exists, and they've un- uncovered a lot of it um, uh, archaeologically, and so we actually know exactly where it is, and a lot of what it looked like, and history and stuff, so it really enriches us as we get to read these, this text today. Okay, Tom, do you want to come read the text for us? <clears throat> Am I on? Awesome. Good morning, church. Um, let me read Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 30 for us. With the Lord's authority, I say this. No longer live as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have, cho- they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live, lustful, they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold. 
to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Awesome. Thanks, Tomo. So, um, what's Paul doing here? He's, uh, he's obviously following on from the previous chapters, and he's basically giving general instructions to the Ephesians specifically, right? He knows these guys. He's a, he knows that he's sent people to go and minister in that church. Uh, he, he's acquainted with what's going on in those surroundings. And he's writing a letter to them. And he's writing them with general instructions, both positive and negative, on how to live out the Christian life. How to live in a way that's appropriate for who you are. How to be who you are. That's what he's doing with these instructions. And so basically he says, Paul says, don't live like those who don't follow God. Live like Christ. And here are some practical examples. And that's the way we're going to break up our sharing. Now, don't live like those who don't follow God. Live like Christ. And here are some practical examples of how to do that. Now, you'll notice in the scripture, maybe you didn't, but you'll see it in a minute, that Paul uses this put on, put off language quite a bit. Put on, put off. And in fact, this is the fourth time he uses it uh, in his New Testament books. So Paul writes about, uh, is it uh, half? Just about half of the books of the New Testament. And um, he uses this clothing analogy quite a lot. And that's why I've got a little high jacket here, if you're wondering. Um, and so we're going to hopefully use this clothing analogy to help us get a little bit better at what's written about today. And so clothing is quite interesting. Um, I didn't think about it until I preached the sermon, but it is quite interesting, especially professional clothing. Um, and I'll tell you why, because professional clothing, now I look very professional, eh? you trust me. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but that is actually true. That's a good example. Okay, so professional clothing is interesting because it identifies two things. Firstly, your identity, who you are. And secondly, your responsibility, what you do. Now, if you think about it, that's quite interesting. So if you think of a doctor, right? They wear a doctor's jacket. When you walk into their, into their uh, or when you watch a marketing advert on TV, someone's wearing a white coat, like, I can trust what they say. Because they're a doctor, and they're supposed to do doctor things and make us better sometimes. Sometimes it works, sometimes... Not as well. Um, but I suppose that's with all professions, right? Um, and I think that's what what's I found so interesting. So when I was younger, I used to watch the, this thing. I, was, I think it was called The Real Hustle. I don't know if any of you watched it. So it was these professional con artists that were actors that were paid, and they would video them conning people and literally like stealing their money and stuff, which was crazy. So I only watched it when I was young. You know, I got past that. <laughs> I'm kidding. But con artists, and what did they use? They used one of these all the time. A high jacket and actually a clipboard as well. And it was crazy what they got away with by literally just having a high-vis jacket and a clipboard. And obviously they're incredible actors, but I always wondered, how do they get away with this? And you see it time and time and time again. And it's because of the perception we have when people wear certain clothing. So when they wore the high-visibility jacket and did a bit of good acting, they could fool almost anyone that they were the official who was supposed to be doing what they were doing, and then they would nab their money or whatever they would do. 
And that's the crazy thing about this professional clothing. I think, I mean, think about it. Spaceman, fireman, policeman, whatever it is. If you've got the clothing on, it identifies who you are and what you're responsible for, what you're supposed to do. And I think that's a bit of what Paul's referring to here, maybe a little bit in the reverse order, but he's saying, you are a Christ follower. You are clothed with Christ. In Ephesians, and a lot of Paul's writing, he says, you are in Christ. And I imagine that almost like this big Christ. And we kind of like inside him, like a little, uh, a little Christian inside of him. And we're a little Christian. That's what Christian is, a little Christ. So we, we're in him. And in fact, that way of speaking about being in Christ is far more prevalent than being in, him being in us. It's actually in the scriptures, it's more you're in Christ than, us, than him being in us, although both are written about. So what am I saying? I'm saying this scripture speaks to us and it tells us this morning to put on Christ. Put on Christ. And what does that mean? It means to be who we truly are. When we've come to Christ, when we are clothed in his righteousness, we are made right with him. We are already his, his children, made right with him. Now be, live appropriately, live in a fitting manner. Live in an appropriate manner. Be who you are. Put on Christ and be who you are. He's identified you as his son. Live as his son or daughter. And so let's dive back then into um, Ephesians four seventeen through 19. And uh, Paul's specifically speaking to the Ephesians and he's saying, don't live like an Ephesian. Well, that's interesting, right? So he's actually saying, don't live like the Gentiles. Many of them were Gentiles. So he's saying, stop being a Gentile. No, what he's saying is stop behaving like the Gentiles. Not ethnicity. He's not speaking like stop being a Gentile. He's saying, be a Gentile, but be a Gentile Christian. Same to us. Be a whatever you are, a Zimbabwean, a South African, a Namibian, an American, whatever you are. Don't change your ethnicity, but change your identity and behavior to align with your new king, Jesus. So that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. This is verse 17. They are hopelessly confused. He speaks pretty harshly, right? He's like, guys, these oaks are wandering in the darkness. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. He doesn't have kind words to say about the way the Ephesians live at all. And I think if we're honest, if we look at our own context, for those who don't follow God, this is the normal life. This is the normal life. And that's okay because if you don't follow God, you have no, no need to live the way that God instructs and the way that he empowers us to live. And so if you are looking into Christianity this morning and you're like, but I'm okay living like that. I just want to say, no judgment. That's okay. But if you're a Christ follower this morning, this is not okay. <laughs> we should look different from those around us, not because we need to be these like, you know, holier than thou and look so amazing. No, because Christ is in us. Therefore, we can live like him. We can experience the fullness of life that he gives. We can live a different way because he is in us. It is an incredible privilege. We don't have to live under the slavery of sin, under the slavery of shame and the, the pain and the brokenness that comes with sin, although we do experience some of that because we still live sometimes in a way that we don't want to. And so we can be set free from that. And so Paul to the Gentiles is saying, don't live 
like the Gentiles. In the context, those Gentiles followed the pantheon of Greco-Roman gods, and they weren't exactly known for their moral uprightness, these gods. They were like full of um, lust and jealousness and envy and these terrible things. Greco-Roman gods were terrible gods, and these guys followed them, and so they lived accordingly. They lived in the way that their gods lived. And the culture also taught to separate body from spirit. And so whatever you did with your body, didn't matter what you believed, you could do this with your body and they didn't line up, which is obviously not true. We are made body and spirit as one. And so that's the way these Gentiles were living. So what does that look like in our context? Well, I don't think we have to think too hard. Uh, I'm sure we've got people we associate with who live in a way that is far from God, that doesn't reflect his life his peace, his joy, his freedom, his holiness. And so Paul's saying pretty clearly here to the Ephesians, and I think he would say to us today, don't live like those who don't follow God. And I think we all know what that looks like. I think if you're um, looking in this morning and you're thinking, but I know lots of Christians who really don't live much differently to me. At least it seems that way. I want to just let you off the hook if you're a skeptic this morning and you think that Christians don't always live like Christians. And we want to say, we know that. And it's not okay with us. But we do know that we're called to live a way that is different because we're called to live like Christ. And we know that we desperately need him to help us do that. We desperately need him to help us do that. And so before we come to Christ, or when we're outside of Christ, we all live however we want to live. We all pursue what we want instead of what he wants. And the truth is that what he wants is always best for us. And so he calls us to live a different way. Now the question is, it's lovely to hear this. It's like, don't live like this. It's like, okay, cool. But why? Why should we not live like that? And then how do we live differently? So let's dive into the next verses. I know that was all a little bit negative, so let's get into the positive. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 20, uh, chapter 4, done it again, sorry, verse 20 through um, 24. This is then the Christian way. So why should we not live like the Gentiles? Why should we not live like that friend of ours who doesn't give a, 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 a damn about how they behave, just does whatever they want? Why should we not live like that? And he says yeah. Because you have learned about Christ. This is not what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, the former way of life. Throw it off. Take off those clothing and put it down. It doesn't fit anymore. You know, it's like that old t-shirt. don't know if maybe some of the husbands in the house or any of you, that old t-shirt you still like to wear and your wife's like, hmm. You know, it's comfortable, but oh, it's not really fitting for me. You know, come on, get rid of that, right? Throw that thing off and throw it away. And Don put on Christ and his way. So throw off that old sinful nature, the former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Verse 23, instead, and this is so encouraging if you're a Christ follower, let the Spirit of God renew your thoughts and attitudes. How do we change the Spirit of God? God himself, he's like, I'll do it. Just invite me. I'll come and change your thoughts and your attitudes. And we all know how hard it is to change our thoughts and to change our habits and our attitudes. But the Spirit of God can do that for us, and he will if we'll invite him to. Verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous 
and holy. So why should we, look, why should we live differently? Because we belong to Christ. We are clothed with Him. We are in Him. And He's shown us and told us how to live differently and given us His Spirit to help us do that. Okay, so I'm going to quickly run through these verses, and then I'm going to hand over to Tomo. Verse 20 through 21. We've got a few educational instructions here, right? Learn, learn, learn. Now, students, don't get nervous. I know exams are very soon. But this is the kind of learning that's eternally valuable, eternally beneficial. So this is the kind of learning you want to be doing, right? Learn Christ. Now, in the original text, that about word isn't there. So it actually just says, learn Christ, not learn about him. Although we do need to do that. That's super important. But learn Christ. And when it comes to ancient texts and, and ancient writings, this sort of thing was never written. They never, it was never written, learn about a person or learn a person. It was always learn writings, learn books, learn mathematics, learn whatever. But this is actually a, a stands alone in ancient, script, uh, ancient uh, writings where it says learn Christ. And I think that's super significant. Learn a person. What does it mean to learn him? It means to get to know him, to grow in relationship with him. Not just to know him up here, right? That's good. That's important. We need to learn academically. We need to understand, but we need to know him at a heart level. We need to connect to them, sit at his feet, be his friend. How do we get to know someone? We spend time with them. We get to know what they like, what they don't like, how they live, how they behave, what they say, what they don't say, where they came from. Same with Christ. Sit at his feet. What does that look like practically? We say this time and time again, but it practically looks like being in the scriptures, his written word to us. He's told us who, we, who he is, what he's like, what he's been doing for thousands of years. That's how we get to know him. We get to know him in times like this, singing about him, and in times alone, singing about him. We get to know him in prayer, praying together in our corporate times, and praying alone. Many ways we can get to know, learn Christ. As we get to learn him, it helps us grow on our sanctification journey. What does that mean? Becoming more like him. And it's like that with people, right? When you spend more time with them, we sometimes become like them. We like that kind of rub off on us. Same with Christ. But he has the, the Holy Spirit who like doesn't, he doesn't just rub off on us. He can literally change us eternally. It's incredible. And um, yeah, I think many of us would have experienced that in our own lives. How Christ has literally rubbed off on us to such a degree that if we look back two, three years ago, we're like, I'm not the same man that I was. My wife would say that same thing. It's like she's been married to about five different men when it's all me. You know, I'm, I'm not the same man I was when we got married or three years ago or even two years ago. God is busy and he's at work. And that's how it should be for all of us. And God empowers us to do that. So it says, learn Christ, get to know him. Then verse 22, put off. And this is this clothing language. Throw off, not just put off. Throw off your old sinful nature. This brings us back to that initial little story I was telling about the chocolate box, you know. When our behavior doesn't reflect what we desire and what God's put in us, it just bothers us. And so Paul's like, don't settle. Don't live with that clothing. Throw it off. Take it off. You know what it is. Don't let that thing hang around. It's almost like Christianity should come with one of those massive warning labels on, right? Sin's not going to be so nice anymore. And it's, and it's true, when you become a Christian, it's just like, sin just sucks. And it's nice to do it, like, when it's like this temporary joy, and I'll never forget that image of sin's like, you know, chocolate-coated vomit. It tastes good, but it's just terrible once you get into it. And it's like that for, sorry, <laughs> just let that one settle. I thought you'd all heard it before, and it was boring, that one. 
Um, but it really is like that. It's like it should really be a warning label on, on, the, on the, the box of Christianity. Don't become a Christian if you would just want to keep sitting and enjoying it. Because it's not the same anymore. But on the flip side, it should say, but you will have the most incredible, joyful life you could ever imagine that sin will never give you. So throw off the old self. We're a new person. We are his. We have died with him and been made alive as a new person. This is what baptism symbolizes. So beautiful, Richard. The guys are going to get baptized in the fifth. That's what baptism symbolizes. Dying with Christ, going under the water, being made alive with him, a new creation. And we might not feel it. We don't necessarily feel that difference. But in the spiritual realm, before Christ, we are a new creation. Live as a new creation is what Paul would instruct us to do this morning through the scriptures. Be who you truly are. Clothe yourself with Christ. And then verse 23, the really encouraging part. This is the kicker. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Just let him do it. He wants to do it. Just let the Spirit of God come Holy Spirit. We preached about this a few weeks ago. Come Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. Let him renew your attitudes and your heart and your mind. And he will do it. And the beautiful thing here in this, in this scripture, which I quite love, is if you see how Paul phrases these instructions, it's almost like passive verbs. It's, it's let him do it. It's, not, it's almost not like do it. It's just like let it happen. Because this is who we already are in Christ. Our status, our position for him is, before him is secure. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You are mine. That's your status. That ain't changing. Jesus finished that work on the cross. That's done. Now live from that status, live from that position in a way that is fitting of that position. And the Holy Spirit will help us do that. Okay, 24, and then I'm going to, verse 24, then I'm going to hand over to Tomo. Uh, this is who we are. Put on then your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Go back and read chapters 1, 2, and 3 and see what God says about us, his sons and daughters. He says, you are loved, you are chosen from all eternity. You are made right with me. You are my son. You are my daughter. We don't always feel these things, right? But before God, they are true. And if he says it, it's true and it ain't changing. You are these things. Whether you experience the sensation or feeling of them, that is who you are. Now be who you are is what Paul would tell us here. The clothing analogy I want to refer back to again. Let the what you do align with the who you are. Let the what you do align with with who you are, and let the Spirit help you do that. Be who you are, is what Paul would tell us this morning. Tom, I'm going to hand over to you. Thanks, Betsy. So, so good. Um, Yeah, so you're probably thinking, um, this is awesome. I need to throw off my old sinful nature, put on my new nature, but like, how do I do this? How do I actually do this practically? Um, how do we live out being who we are now in Christ? And Paul's like, thank you for asking. And in verse, uh, verses 25 to 30, he gives us the how. And I think it's important just to remember that um, Paul wrote these verses to the Ephesian Christians in a specific context. But because humans are still humans 2,000 years later, the very same practical applications that he gives to them 
still apply to us today. So let me reread um, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 25 to 30. Uh, Stop telling lies. Uh, Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for you are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. You guys are a lot more intimidating from up here than you are talking to you each in person. But um, I'm going to try and not read my notes. So I'm going to try to step away from it as often as possible. Um, But here, Paul has given the Ephesian Christians four practical applications. Um, uh, And um, this list isn't exhaustive, but it's it's four, four applications that are a great place to start. And I think how he almost shows us to address them is a structure that we can apply to anything we are dealing with. Um, so he, these, so as Bates has spoken about how we put off our old sinful nature, put on our new self, um, uh, he gives four examples here. And uh, how I want to break it up is something we shouldn't do, something we should do, and then the reason why. Those of you who know me know I like to ask why. I like to understand why something is the way it is or why I should do something. I think when we understand why we should be doing, why we should be doing something, we have our motive. Um, and off the bat, I just want to let you guys know that, or like point out something really awesome. When Paul tells us to do these four things, he doesn't tell us because the law says so, because it says so in the Old Testament. He doesn't tell them because it's wrong. He doesn't say because it's one of the Ten Commandments. He gives them different reasons. He says because it hurts you, because it hurts the others around you, because it damages your relationships with your brothers and sisters. So the first practical application we find in verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. We are all parts of the same body. So I want, I want you guys to help me here quickly. Um, so our structure is what shouldn't we do, what should we do, and why? I think this one's pretty straightforward. What shouldn't we do? Tell us. What should we do? Tell the truth. Why are we doing this? <laughs> because we're all parts of the same body. What is the same body? The body of Christ, a.k.a. the church. Um, lying is ugly in and of itself, but Paul gives us a reason that makes sin even more ugly. When we lie to each other, we are breaking trust with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. We are undermining the sweet trust that we have with each other in fellowship. Dishonesty and lying undermines the trust that we have with each other. Uh, We serve and love each other in community by putting off falsehood and speaking the truth in love with one another. Our second application is around anger. Verse 26 goes, and don't, let sin, and, don't, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. 
So, what shouldn't we do? I don't know if it's that simple. <laughs> um, uh, I would say, don't let anger control you. Um, uh, it's important to acknowledge that anger isn't always bad. Um, uh, we read in the Bible about how um, Jesus got angry. We, we read about how when he saw people exchanging money and selling animals for sacrifice in the temple, he made a whip and cast people and chased them out of the temple. I can't even say that without smiling. I'm just picturing Jesus like um, weaving a whip out of cords in order to like chase people out of a temple. Um, and Jesus was also angered by, the, angered by the hardness of heart of the Jewish leaders of his time. Um, the difference is that most of the time that we get angry, we are getting angry about the wrong thing and in the wrong way. Um, it is bad. It is being bad-tempered and easily angry, angered that Paul condemns here. So what should we do? We shouldn't be easily angered or we shouldn't let anger control us. Rather, we should settle our anger quickly. Uh, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry means that we should settle the issue and resolve our calmness as quickly as possible. Do whatever you have to do to get this bitterness out of your heart. Why? Why? <laughs> why should we get rid of anger? Um, uh, verse, verses 27 tells us, For anger gives a foothold to the devil. I know we have some rock climbers among us, um, and they'll be able to tell you about the importance of a good foothold. But a foothold is somewhere you, you position yourself in order to make further progress. And by holding on to anger, we give the devil a secure position from which to make further progress into our lives. Friends, we don't want to be giving the devil any foothold in, in our lives. I know for me personally, there's already a lot of baggage, a lot of sin um, uh, and, uh, that I'm already working on. I don't want to be holding on to anger and giving him any more opportunity to make further progress. Um, uh, let's not give him that opportunity. Let's strive to resolve our anger quickly. So we've done our first two, telling the truth, settling our anger quickly. Our third application we find in verse 28 if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. What shouldn't we do? Yeah, well done. Um, uh, what should we do? I'd say, I'd say work honestly. Work hard and work honestly. Um, rather than showing a lack of love for people by stealing from them, we ought to work hard and work honestly. Why should we work hard? So that we can give. Well done. Um, we work in order to give something to those in need. Everything we have is from God. God blesses us with finances in order to take care of our immediate families, our spiritual family, the church, and others in need. Our fourth application is around how we talk. Verse 29 tells us, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, 
so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. What shouldn't we do? We shouldn't use foul or abusive language. There we go. Um, uh, believe it or not, I'm no expert in Greek, but uh, fortunately there are guys who are. And um, yeah, the Greek of verse 29 more literally says, Every corrupt word, let it not proceed out of your mouth. It gives the impression that something corrupt or ugly is on the tip of your tongue. Paul says, don't let it come out. It's uh, the taming of the tongue or the controlling of the tongue that James tells us about in James. I think it's chapter 2 or chapter 3, one of them. Um, Yeah, so this unwholesome speech includes things like crude joking, gossiping, breaking people down, and talking in a way that is cynical or bitter. Personally, this is something that I've been challenged by. At times, I found myself being quite cynical, um, in my heart mainly, in my mind, but um, occasionally it also come out in my speech. Um, and it's something that I have had to learn. Um, and it's just, it's been like a couple of years of giving people the benefit of the doubt in my mind and in my speech. It's something I'm still learning, but it has been awesome to lean into it, to lean into God with it and feel my heart changing. So what should we do? Oh, sorry. Yeah, what should we do? So we shouldn't use foul or abusive language. Rather, we should. I'd say speak only words that build up. Instead of engaging in cynical, crude, or bitter talk, we hold our tongues in those moments. We only speak words that build up those around us. And why? Why should we only use words that build up? So that our words would be an encouragement. Let the words that come out of your mouth be encouragement to those who hear them. Our words have incredible power. Your words have incredible power. Are you going to use them for harm? Or are you going to use them for good? Are you going to use them to dishearten, to break down, to speak crudely? Or are you going to use them to encourage, to build up, and to speak life? I want to take a moment just to root us again quickly. Because these are four applications where Paul is telling us like, what we need to do. And just like looping back to what Bates said at the beginning and what Paul preached on last week, these are things that we do because of what Jesus has done in our hearts. There's no... Four, five, six. There's no second half of Ephesians without the first half. There's, no, there's none of these things. No um, telling the truth. No encouraging talk. All of this without first knowing that our identity is in God. Knowing that He predestined us before the foundation of the world. Knowing that He has adopted us into His family. And from that place, from that place we live this out. I find the Bible so beautiful in how it gives us our why and it gives us our how. Our why, our reason for being to honor God, to glorify Him with every area of our lives. How do we do this? We do this by telling the truth, by resolving our anger quickly, by building each other up and by working honestly in order to give. So... um, 
Bates has used this analogy, and it's the analogy that Paul uses in, in this passage, but it's the whole putting off the old self, putting off the old sinful nature, and putting on your new nature. And, uh, um, and it, I mean, this, 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 what I've used, the, what we shouldn't do and what we should do, is exactly that. It's putting off um, behavior that isn't rooted in God, and putting on him, putting on behavior that honors him and glorifies him. So I want to ask you guys, these are just, these are just four applications. There are a lot more than these. Um, in fact, the rest of Ephesians goes on to list a couple more. Um, uh, we don't get revenge, but we forgive. We don't live lives of um, lust and debauchery. We live self-controlled lives. And we don't get drunk on alcohol, but we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And these will be unpacked for us in the next few weeks. Um, but what I want to ask you guys this morning, as you sit here, is there any behavior that you want to put off in order to put on Christ? Verse 36 says to us, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. The Bible tells us that when we accept God into our lives, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. We have a holy guest within us. Let's honor Him with the way we live. Let's live lives that are true and fitting to who we are. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to be who we are. Betty, will you come and land us? Amen. Repentance and faith. This is the Christian life, the Christian journey, the journey of sanctification, repentance and faith. Don't do this, do this, and here's your gospel motivation. Thanks for sharing. That was beautiful, Tomo. Don't do this, do this, and here's your gospel motivation. I wonder if Paul was writing to us what he would say. If he was writing to One Hope Church, what would he say? And he would have specific applications. As Tom shared, this is the beauty of the Bible. It's not just some high up there philosophical, you know, whatever, pretending and nonsense. It's deeply practical. It's truly an instruction for life. I just wonder if we live this kind of way, if we lived as one hopers who were truly who we are. We just lived out of who we are in Christ empowered by him, what that would look like. And I just get this picture of like a light shining in the darkness, of like this beautiful, radiant light of Jesus shining in the darkness, where those in the town truly know that One Hope Church is here, not because we're amazing, but because we're living out who we truly are, his sons and his daughters. I always ask that question, if we weren't here, if One Hope Church left town for whatever reason, would the town even notice? And I believe they would, but I believe they would notice even more if we lived more and more like this. And I really want to encourage us as One Hopers, let's live from who we are and let the Holy Spirit empower us to do that. It's incredible. We get to live incredible lives filled with the Holy Spirit. Not victims and slaves to sin and shame, but free to live joyfully, peaceful, life-giving, glorious 
lives with our Savior. It's, it's such a privilege and such a joy. Let's live that way and let our town know all about it. We stand and we're going to close in prayer and communion together. I want to call us to a moment of responding to this word. I know it's been quite challenging and maybe a little kind of cutthroat and maybe some of us have sat here this morning feeling a bit of a weight of conviction from the Holy Spirit as there's been stuff in our lives which maybe isn't quite um, aligned to what He would have us live. And I believe that's the Spirit coming and inviting you this morning to lay those things down at His feet, to take them off and just let the Holy Spirit come and move and work and renew and restore and empower you to live for him. So can we close our eyes for a moment? And I'm just going to give us each a moment. I believe there would be something each of us has to repent of, to turn away from. And then we're going to take a moment just to welcome him into those things and help us to live his way. So if you're comfortable, would you just put your hands out in a kind of a posture of surrender and welcome and invitation to God to work? We come before you this morning, Lord. Each one of us, you know us full well. And we just surrender to you, Lord. And we repent, O God, of behavior that is just not fitting for who we are in you, Lord. And it bothers us. And we know it's not okay, but Lord, sometimes we, we struggle to lay these things down. But we do repent, Lord, where our behavior is just not fitting for who we are, where we're not being who we are. And we just invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to come and empower us, to come and fill us, to come and renew our hearts and our minds so that we would live in a way that is beautiful to you and pleasing to you and a light to our town and to our friends and family, Lord. Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Thank you that that is the truth, Lord Jesus, that we are yours and you are ours. And that we can then live differently to those around us. The lie is that we just have to go with whatever the world says and whatever our body feels and whatever we think, but that's not true. Our, the truth is, when we repent of those thoughts and feelings, the truth is that you have dictated how we ought to live and you have made it possible by your Holy Spirit. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, this morning. Come and meet with each of us, wherever we need it, Lord. Just want to take us a quick moment, just one minute, uh, in your mind, under your breath. If you can think of a specific area you just want to repent of this morning, would you do that right now and just say, Lord, I repent of this thing, and I believe that you can help me to live differently. Come and help me do that. So we're just going to give a minute for that now.